pray for me, okay? Pray that um, uh, I, I, would, I would covet your prayers every time I get up here, okay? I, I covet your prayers. It doesn't mean you have to you know, drop on your knees in the service and go into prayer, but you can pray for me right there silently. You can pray it, it, it before the preaching time. I covet your prayers, and, I, and I'll tell you why. You know, sometimes we get going, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not Adrian Rogers. I'm not, I'm not any of these other guys. I'm just me. And sometimes you get to going, and man, I want the Lord to guard my mouth. Amen. I want to guard my mouth. I want to make sure that that I am submitted to Him in everything I say. I don't want to say anything outside His will. I don't ever want to be inappropriate from the. From the pulpit, I don't want to do that. And so I, I ask you to pray for me and, and pray that the Lord will, if there's something right here in these notes that, that I've prayed through and prepared that I don't need to preach, that, that the Lord will give me wisdom to, to not do that. And if there's something I need to add, that he'll bring it to mind. But I covet your prayers as I stand to preach. It's that important. Um, so we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The title I would give it this morning as we continue in this series is this, It Ain't About Me. That's the, that's the main title. It ain't about me. And then a subtitle for this message would be this. Am I puffed up or building up? Okay, that's the question. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so, like I said, we're going to work through chapter 8, 9, and 10. Basically, we're going to just work through these scriptures and, 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 and try to get a 30,000-foot view of what Paul is trying to tell us here in these three chapters. So remember here in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul is responding to a letter that he has received from the, the church there in Corinth. Now, we don't have the letter, so we don't know exactly what questions were asked, but you can gauge by his responses what questions were asked. We have an idea. We don't know exactly the wording, but we know the topics, and we know how Paul responded, so we can gather from that the things that were being talked about. And so those believers at Corinth wrote in these letters. Now, well, I want to back up a, a little bit. So a few, uh, probably six, seven, eight weeks ago now, we were in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and when you get to verse 12 there, you'll remember, you'll remember this. We were talking about the statement that is made. All things are lawful for me, but, not, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We talked about how, how many today preach that Paul was saying all things are lawful for me. Paul wasn't saying that. I mean, that contradicts Scripture. It contradicts other things. I don't believe that's what Paul was saying. I believe Paul was quoting what the Corinthians had said to him. Hey, Paul, all things are lawful for us. So the problems he's dealing with with sexual immorality and these different things, Paul is confronting those issues and the attitude they had that, hey, I'm forgiven. I basically can do what I want to do now as a, as a forgiven, born-again Christian. I can live however I want to, and that's okay because all things are lawful for me. And I think that's, I think I'm, I'm on solid ground in, in that interpretation of this. And Paul's response to that is, but all things are not helpful. And he says, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to be a slave to anything out there. Well, if we fast forward then to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to find that Paul says the same thing again. And we'll look at that. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Now, he says this a little different here in chapter 10. He says, but not all things edify. Now, understanding what edify means, that means to build up. That's the idea. It's a construction. It's really a construction term. It's like building a house. And if you build a house, you lay a firm foundation. 
You want a good, solid foundation, and then you build it. Everything as you build on that foundation, you want it to be right. And so Paul is saying, you know, you guys are saying all things are lawful for, for me, but I'm telling you not all things build up. Not all things build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that kind of gives us, a, 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 as we go into these passages, an idea of what Paul's dealing with. Now, for, chapter 8, look at... Uh, verse 1. Now, the first thing, if, if, you're, if you're making an outline, my outline would be point one right here, and it, it, I give it the heading of arrogance. Okay, arrogance. Verse 1, now concerning things offered to idols. What is, what is that about? What is things offered to idols? All right, so idol worship was a big thing in those times. They, they offer, you know what? It's a big thing in our time. Yeah. It's a big thing in our time. It just looks different. We're not putting an animal on an altar and slitting its throat and then, and then sending it, you know, eating the meat there. But what they would do is, that, so the, they had temples set up to their idols, to their false gods, okay? And so they would bring in these animal sacrifices. They would sacrifice them to their god. Then they would take the sacrifice. Part of it would go to the priest. Part of it would be used in temple, in the temple worship, in the temple feast right there. So they're in the temple of a false god, and there was feast there. They would, they would serve the food. They would eat the food there, food that had been offered to the idol. Then other, other because all the, the priest is going to take everything and not all is going to be served there. So other meat then would be sent out to the marketplace. So generally in, in an area like Corinth, if you were going to the market and buying meat, more than likely, most likely, in fact, the, the meat that you were buying had been offered to an idol. It had been sacrificed to an idol. So there's an issue here. As new believers, and we'll understand in a moment the prohibition of this and why it's a problem, but I want you to have an idea of those sacrifices and what this, the, these, these things that were offered to idols. So this is meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. And so Paul says, now concerning things offered to idols, so we know this is the topic. It's what he's dealing with. For, we're going to look at it for the next three chapters as he deals with this and he says we know uh, uh, we know that we all have knowledge now we all have some knowledge even in here everybody's got some knowledge not everybody's got the same knowledge not everybody's got the same level of maturity you understand maturity has nothing to do with knowledge right you can have all the knowledge in the world and be very immature as a believer. You can be very mature as a believer and not have the greatest knowledge okay but but knowledge and here's what he says knowledge puffs up and doesn't it don't, this is something we have to guard against because we, we, we get this idea of, well, I know more than you. You know, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you or I'm whatever. It puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. That's just a human nature thing. It's what happens. Paul says, but love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. It builds up. So, again, am I puffed up or building up? That's kind of the question we're going to look at. Verse 2, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So when we get closer to God, we don't get arrogant. As a believer, if we're growing closer to the Lord, the, the more knowledge we gain of the Scriptures, the more knowledge we have, the closer we get. We don't become arrogant. We become humble. It's, it's humbling the closer we get to the Lord. Instead of, I know this or I know that, we realize how much we don't know. That's what happens is, you know, the, 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 I'm amazed as I study stuff out and I go, well, I know this. And I start studying. I go, wow, I, I didn't know more than I did know about this. And so that, that's where we get. So the closer I get to God, the more I realize how far I still am from him. Amen? Amen. Boy, it's when we get this idea, boy, I've arrived. You know, I, I read through the Bible this year. I memorized eight verses this year. Uh -huh. 
You know, we get all spiritual. We're all, we've arrived because we've done something. We haven't done anything. What, what, what we ought to realize, man, the closer I get to God, the smaller I realize I am. Right. The closer I get and the more I learn about it, the more I realize I'll never know this whole book. So we, that's what it should humble us instead of making us puffed up. Now, the second point here will be things, talking about things offered to idols. And the prohibition, what I already talked about was there was a prohibition. Uh, so we understand what the meats to idols were. But there was a prohibition on this. There was some wisdom given. And, and you'd have to understand that when, when, when you understand the, the concept of the Judaizers, they were Paul's planting churches and the, ch- the, the, the church of, of Christ is growing around the world. And there are these Jews that, that would come in that they were they were Christians they had been born again but they some were some may not but they would come in and here's what they would try to do they would try to tell these new Christians you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian you can't just skip the process you can't just become a Christian you have to become a Jew first you got to go through the whole thing you got to keep the law the whole law you got to keep the law you got to be circumcised you got to do all these things And then you can become a Christian. And Paul's going, no, 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 there is none of that. So there was some argument there, some debate. So they go down to Jerusalem, the church there in Jerusalem, and they have the Jerusalem council. And if you go to uh, Acts 15, you can read about this. But, But they deal with the issue. And in verse 28... Just to summarize, it says, For it seemed good to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And there's a list of things given to these Christians that they should do or need to do. Understand now, this is not legalism. This is not putting them under the law. If you don't do these things, you don't go to heaven. That's not what was said. Hear what was said, verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to idols. Now we understand why there's an issue, because there is a prohibition given. You should not, you should not eat of these meats that are offered to idols. You should abstain from that, from blood. You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat the blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And, and, and they say here, they wrote in this, this, this ordinance that was given out, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. There's no legalism there. There's no, you have to do and keep this exactly. This is now what gets you to heaven. This wasn't a replacement of the law with new law. It was just, look, these are, these are some things. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to become a full Jew to become a full Christian. Okay, you don't have to, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. And so it's not law. It's not required for salvation, but it is good for believers. So understanding that that's the context now that they're facing. They understand we shouldn't eat these meats that are offered to idols in, in idol worship. But let's look at Paul's view. Coming back to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4 says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. He didn't say that it's insignificant. He didn't say it's something. He says, look, an idol is nothing. What is an idol? Wood, stay, or metal. It's something that, uh, wood, stone, or metal. It's something that somebody's built, they made with their own hands. I've made this thing, and now I call it my God. Uh, I was reading where Michelangelo, Michelangelo did one of, his, one of his works of art, I think it was a sculpture, and he came back to it later, and his own sculpture, he worshipped it. He worshipped a sculpture that he had made with his own hands as though it were a god. It became an idol in his life and he worshipped it. Folks, we can do that. But Paul says, we understand that an idol is nothing in this world. It's nothing. It means nothing. It has no meaning. There's nothing behind it. There, whatever, that, whatever false god they've come up with, it, it's not, there's not a god. Okay, So we understand that. 
so there's nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if, if there are so-called gods, and we know that there are, we know there are false gods that people make up and people worship all kinds of things, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, all things, who, through whom are all things and through whom we live. And he says, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. So not everyone had come to that maturity that place of understanding that there's not an idol. So there were people who would actually, man, if they ate meat, they understood where it came from. It, it grieved their conscience. We're not, we shouldn't eat meat offered to idols, and yet this is the meat before us. Do I eat it? Do I not eat it? You know, I, I like pork. I want some pork, you know. So do I eat it or not eat it? What They had to make a decision. And there were those that it grieved them, and it, and it, and it, it, was, it was a problem for them in their conscience as they took of this. So what we're talking about here, not everybody had the same knowledge. They hadn't come to the same understanding of their the proper understanding, scriptural, biblical understanding of their freedoms and their liberties at a Christian, as a Christian. Um, so not all had that same maturity. For some, with conscience of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So when the Corinthians, with weak consciences, ate food that had been offered to idols, they believed that they were worshiping idols. You can understand now where a problem comes in with this, how it would create a, a problem for you. I would have the same deal. I'm telling you, if, I, if I'm in Tajikistan years ago on a mission trip and they offer something to Allah and then they want to present it to me, I'd have a problem eating that. I wouldn't want to eat some meat that had been offered as a sacrifice to Allah or, or some other God. I wouldn't want to do that. And so their conscience being weak is defiled. Uh, so, so they do this and they believe it to be sinful. Now, I, I, one, of the, one of the commentaries I was reading this week talked about this, this weak conscience. And, and, and here's the thing with a weak conscience, an immaturity sometimes, that, or, or, or just depending on where we're at. It can go two ways. Someone with a weak conscience could, be, could become very legalistic. They become very much by the... Now, when I use the word legalistic... I'm using it in the scope that most people use it today. Like your standards are higher than my standards. Or, you know, if you're if you got hair touching your ears, you got sin in your heart. Jeff, you've taken care of that these days, haven't you? <laughs> got rid of that. So, you know, that's the thing, is is we can get legalistic, but also the other side of that coin with folks who are or maybe have a weak conscience is they can become lawless. Is that anything is on the table, anything and everything. So they're, they're, the, 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 the way I kind of look at this with this weak conscience, it's, it's some, some level of immaturity there. They've, they've not really come to full understanding of truth and the scriptures and those things. So it can be a problem for them. Verse 8, but food does not commend us to God. This is what Peter, uh, Paul is saying here. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. What we eat does not make God love us more. Amen. Okay? And what we don't eat does not make God love us more. Okay, So, so you know, we don't have, I, I'm sure that today there's some problems with people. Just people get on different diets and, well, if you're not eating this way, you're not eating like God says. And, and then others are going, hey, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You know, Lord, Peter said everything's good. I've offered thanks for it. The Lord's given us things. We can eat anything and everything. It's okay. All right, so we could have a fight even today over food. We're not going to fight over food. 
We're not going to do that because what we eat doesn't make us, doesn't make God love me more. And what I don't eat doesn't make God love me more. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, so then we'd see Paul's proclamation here in verse 9. He says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours. Now he's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to the ones who say all things are, are lawful for me. They've got this idea they can do whatever. They've gone to the side of, man, everything is acceptable. We've, we've seen that already for the area of sexual immorality that was going on in the church. I mean, all things are, are lawful for me. I can do whatever. He says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, they see you, you're more mature, you have more knowledge, you have this, eating in an idol's temple... Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Look at verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Now we gather from this. This is a serious issue. This is not, and it's not the matter of eating or not eating. Look, that, that's, we're going we're gonna to understand, hopefully you're going to understand when we're, by the time we're done with this. Paul's, it's not as, as just flippant as meat and food. This is a very serious thing that he's talking about. But when we cause a brother to stumble, look, it's not just sin against them. It is, it's sin against Christ. Okay? So understand going into this, this is a very serious issue. Verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul took a strong stance right there. If this will cause a brother to stumble, I think Paul would have even said if this would cause an unbeliever not to consider coming to Christ, then I will not eat meat again. If this is a problem, I won't do it because I don't want to hinder what God wants to do. So this is a serious issue. And Paul isn't concerned about his liberty and his knowledge. He's concerned with the weaker brother, the not as mature brother, the brother who lacks the knowledge and under, full understanding of this. So now we get to chapter 9. And, and again, so Paul has made this statement that eating meat to an idol is not sinful. He, he, he said this idol is nothing. Okay, it's nothing. We know that that, that idol is nothing. It doesn't mean a thing. And we have liberty. He, he stated that. But eating meat offered to an idol can cause someone else to sin or to stumble in their faith or to fall. So Paul says, I will not eat meat in that case. So when we get to chapter 9 here, he, he, um, he's going to use himself as an example. He's going to help us to understand the principle of this. So here's in verse 1 through 14, he states his rights as an apostle. That's what he's doing, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read, uh, starting at verse 4, I'm going to read about four verses. He says, do we, uh, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at, at, at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does, does not drink of the milk of the flock. So Paul's not making a case for foods. He's not making a case for alcohol here. He's making the point that he has the right to not work. That's the case he's making. 
I, he has the right to be supported in the ministry. Others were supported. They were taken care of. They didn't work. Others put food and drink before them and took care of their needs while they did the work of the ministry. And so he says, I'm in the mission field. I'm an evangelist. I'm a church planter. I have this right. Paul is stating the case that he has that right. Look what he says in verse 15. Uh, verse 15 through 18 we see here Paul's self-denial of his rights. Verse 15, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that, I sh that it should be done so to me. He says, Now I'm not writing now so that you'll take up a love offering and feel guilty about this and send me money. That's not what I'm saying. He says, I have not used the liberty I have not to work. Now we know, what do we know about Paul? Paul, what, did he work or not work? He worked. He worked with his own hands. He was a tent maker. He, he worked. He labored. And then he, and he did ministry. So he said, For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. You know, Paul didn't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel. Anything. Even to the point of, listen, that could be a problem later on. That church takes up an offering. They give me money. And later on, they, they've got a problem. With that. Oh, you took from us. Or we, you owe us this. Or you owe us that. Paul said, I don't want to be indebted to you guys. I don't want you to feel obligated. I don't want to feel obligated. And, and I don't want it to be a problem. I don't want it to hinder you. I don't want to be a stumbling block for you. So I don't take, I don't exercise my rights. I give up my rights. Why? Um, verse 19 through 23, Paul serves all for the sake of the gospel. Verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Amen. Why did he give up these things? So that he could win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under law, as under law, that I might win those who are under law. To those who are without law, as without law. Now in parentheses here it says, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. So what he's saying is, I didn't go sinning and just go lawless so that I could win the sinner and the lawless. He, didn't, he, he said, I didn't have to join a biker gang and get tattoos so I could minister to the biker gang with tattoos. He said, I just, I communicate with them. I talk to them. I, I, I talk on their level. I communicate the things. I don't want to be an offense to them. I want to win them that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul says, I have given up my rights to win the lost. In verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake. Amen. That's why I did it. Paul says, I give these things up for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people coming to faith in Christ, for the sake of new believers growing in their faith, for the sake of older believers continuing to grow in their faith. I don't want to be the reason that anybody stumbles and doesn't come to faith in Christ or doesn't continue in their faith in Christ. Verse, uh, so so there, that wraps up chapter 9. Let's look at chapter 10. Verses 1 through 5. He's writing about caution right here. And he says, look, uh, when, you, when you look back at the, the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt, and, and, and they all came through the Red Sea, they all came through the cloud, they all drank of the spiritual water, and they all ate of the spiritual food. But he says, but God was not pleased with them all. Many of them died in the desert out there. So while they all partook of those things, they all had the blessing of God on their life, they all didn't live their lives in a way that was a blessing to Him. 
And they didn't please him. And there's a caution that he gives here. And then in verse 6, he, he tells the, the Corinthians, he says, guard against idolatry. Because what was the thing, if you go back and you read that, it was idolatry again and again and again and again and again with the children of Israel. They, they, would, they would follow anything and everything. They, they, and, we, and, and you know that history. So if you don't, go back and read that and read through Exodus and read how the children of Israel, they're chasing this idol and God brings judgment on them and they turn around and get right with God and then they chase another idol. I mean, it was just constant. So in verse 6 now, Paul's telling them to, to the Corinthians, card against this idolatry. Now these things, verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Here's your caution. Folks, what, are, what, are you, what is in your life? What is it that you want in your life? What is it that you're pursuing? What is it that you're chasing? What is it that you're lusting after? Because be careful that you don't lust after evil things as they lusted. And, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He gives a great caution against becoming idolaters. Now, folks, anything that, that we put ahead of God is an idol. Right? You understand that? Anything that we put ahead of God can become an idol. Um, my wife can become an idol in my life. My children, and I'm afraid many Christians, their children have become idols in their lives. Hey, their children come first. Nothing is going to stand in the way of what they think. My kids need this, and they need to go do this, and whatever. They can become an idol. Um, I, 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 I'm telling you, I love college football. And I, I don't love college football the way I used to love college football. I, I mean, if I did, I would be obnoxious. I mean, totally obnoxious as a Georgia fan. I would. But I, but it, and people go, when, I, I, everywhere I've ever been, people love it when Georgia loses. They come, how you doing today? <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing just as good today as I, I would have been if they won. It just, you know, Georgia winning or losing does not, it doesn't affect my happiness. Now, I'd rather win than lose, but it doesn't. But here's what I was even thinking about yesterday, watching, and you see people got their faces painted up. They got all the garb on. They got the necklaces on. I think it was a, uh, I don't remember the logo, which team it was, but they had this thing around their neck. These are the fans. You know, you, 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 we go off in the jungles and we see the people painted up and they're chanting and, and they're, oh, 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 and all you got to do is turn on Saturday and watch college football or the NFL and you see the same thing. It's idolatry. And I thought, Lord, don't help me. Show me because I, I love to watch the game. I love the competition. I've loved football since I was a little kid. I love it. But I don't want that to be an idol in my life. And I don't want to be partaking of idolatry. So I don't send my money to Georgia. They call me up and say, hey, we gave you a great education. Shouldn't you send some money to the alumni? I said, you didn't give me anything. They took me off the list. I said, I, I paid tuition every quarter I was at Georgia. Y'all didn't give me anything. And I had to beg for a few of those passing grades. So don't tell me you gave me anything. <laughs> I worked hard and I begged hard to get my degree. Um, we have to be careful. Because there's a lot of things that come out of idolatry. Listen, my, my liberty can become an idol. My liberty, my freedom to do whatever. 
Well, we're not under the law, so I can do this. I have a right to do this. God you know, doesn't prohibit that, or he doesn't prohibit that, or he doesn't, you know, I have liberty to do this. I have freedom to do this. You know, that can become an idol. Because now we, we, we've put that up and we go, you know, my, my right to do this thing, whether some say it's wrong, I say it's right, whatever, I, this thing has become more important and it's become between me and the Lord. It can happen. So we have to guard against that. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 12 and 13. He says, you know, guard against idolatry, but he says guard against pride. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride goeth before the fall. Goes before destruction. This haughty spirit. We have to be careful that we don't get puffed up. Um, I'm, I'm going to share something. I'm not sharing it to try to be disparaging, but I want you to understand. Spurgeon's probably the greatest preacher maybe since Paul. But Spurgeon wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. And Spurgeon took a, a, he had a freedom, he had a liberty to smoke cigars. And guys who like cigars would probably go, hey, Spurgeon smoked them. That might be the problem. Okay? But see, Spurgeon's problem wasn't he smoked cigars because maybe he had the freedom to do that and the liberty to do that. But where I, I think, and I've read up on this the last few days, Spurgeon's problem came in is that Spurgeon said, I don't care what you think or what you say or what you write. I have the freedom to smoke a cigar and I'm going to go smoke it whether you like it or not. That was kind of his attitude. And, it, and, and mothers were, were put out because, you know what, you, you may be enticing my children to smoke. And he says, well, you know, and his attitude was really, he put his right and his freedom. What I'm saying, I'm not trying to bash him because later on, Spurgeon, I, I think he was grieved a little bit because he saw something that said, that's the brand that Spurgeon smokes. And he was like, oh, I think then he got a little conviction about it that, Man, maybe it is pushing. Now we have to understand that was a time where they, doctors were actually saying cigars were good for your health. They help you relax and they were good. He, they, he was told it would be good for his throat. That it would be good for his throat. And I'm preaching all the time, so hey, you know, I need all the help I can get. Well, a, a strong brandy might be the same way or whatever. You know, we can, we can find these things. And so I don't do that to disparage him, but I'm doing that to tell you, here's a man who was a godly man, one of the greatest preachers ever, and yet his attitude, I feel like when I read on that, his attitude and the way he approached that was wrong. And we're going to see that because of what Paul is teaching us here. We have to be careful with pride. We don't let this pride come in because then we fall, then we, we stumble. And, and the pride comes in when I go, hey, you ain't got no right to say, I got a right to do this. This is my freedom. This, this is my freedom. God didn't tell me I couldn't do this. He told me if I give him thanks for it, I can do whatever I want. We have to be careful. Verse 14 through 22, Paul says, flee from idolatry. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He said, I speak as to wise men. Now, I'm, I think he was being a little sarcastic there. I think he was... I think he was messing with the Corinthians a little bit. I'm speaking to you wise men. Y'all have got it all figured out. Uh, judge for yourselves what I say. And so he goes on, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He's talking about the, Lord, the, the Lord's table. He's talking about the communion. He says, The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Speaking of Christ, and he's speaking here of the Lord's Supper. We don't eat the literal body. We don't eat the, drink the literal blood of Christ. But we are part of the body, and we do that. We identify with Christ. And he says, Observe Israel. 
after the flesh. He said, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So those who ate of the sacrifices that were sacrificed to God, he says they were, they were partakers of the altar. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Well, he'll get to that. Is an idol, am I saying that an idol is anything? He's already said an idol is nothing in this world. And what is offered to idols is anything? Is, so is anything that's offered to an idol, is that really anything? He says, rather, he says, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And so, so I think what Paul did here, he really puts down a, 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 he puts down a prohibition against you shouldn't go into these temple worships. You shouldn't take a part of that. You shouldn't be in these temple feasts where they're serving this meat. And, you know, and they would, it would be, I, I could see it almost like going into a restaurant, this temple, and they're, they're serving this food, and people would go in there and, and sit and get, well, I got liberty. I know that's no big deal. Well, maybe, maybe you feel like it's no big deal, but that meat wasn't just offered to an idol. When they offer it to that idol, they're offering it to a demon. And there's scripture to back this up. That, that, that they were, there was, it was demon worship, and they wouldn't have even understood it. They would have said, I'm worshiping the God of so-and-so, the, you know, the, the clouds. But there's a demon behind that. And Paul says, look, when they do that, that, that when they sacrifice, to, they're sacrificing to demons and not to God. And he says, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You got to be careful not to participate in that idol worship. So, so I think that would give us some very clear understanding, folks. There's some things that we should not partake in because, because it, seem, it may seem innocent enough, but when we take part in that, we're taking part in this idol worship. We're taking part in those things. Verse 22 through 33, Paul says, why do I do this? I have my rights. Why do I put aside my rights? We have these liberties. Why do we put aside these liberties? Why do we do that? And it's all to the glory of God. Verse 23, all things are lawful for me. Again, what we read earlier, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify, not all things build up. He says in verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So who, do, who are we supposed to look after? Others. Others. It, see, it, it, it ain't about me. Amen? Amen. See, well, well, here's the problem. The pride comes in, it's all about me. The arrogance comes in, it's all about me. It's all about my freedom. It's about my liberty. It's about what I want to do. And then you know what? That, that becomes an idol in my life because I put it ahead of what God would have me to do. And what God would have me to do is consider the other person before I consider myself. This is Christ-likeness. This is Christ-likeness. Verse 25, and, and, and he gives them some, some instructions here. He's going deeper. He's still talking about this meets to idols situation, but it's things that we can kind of understand. So in verse 25, he says, Eat whatever is sold in the, in the meat market. Ask no questions for conscience' sake. Don't ask, don't tell. There it is right there. Yeah? Don't ask, don't tell. So if you don't go and ask them where did it come from, don't ask them. Eat it. Take it, take it home, cook it up, enjoy it, and eat it. He said, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Verse 27, if any of those who do not believe, so an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. Look. They, they know where, they, they just told you they know what it's for. 
It was offered to idols. Here's an unbeliever who says, hey, this meat was offered to the god Rosh. What do you think of that? Then you don't eat it. And that was offered to, to that God. Eh, you know what? I'm not going to eat that. And he says, for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Verse 29 and 30, I think Paul's writing here kind of a, a response that would be maybe from the Corinthians. Conscience, I say, not your own, but uh, that of the other. Uh, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? And that's where people come to. You know, why, why is my liberty judged? Why, why is my liberty hindered by somebody else's conscience, about their insecurities or their, their immaturities or their lack of knowledge, just because they haven't come to a place to understand it yet? That's a response that oftentimes we would have. You know, th just because they're that, I shouldn't have to give up what I want to do. That's not what Scripture tells us. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Verse 30, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's a good question to ask. When you're, when you're doing something, can, can what you're doing, can you give glory to God in and through what you're doing? What you're taking part in? Can you? That's a great question. 32. Have no offense. Or I'm sorry. Give no offense. Either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Who does that leave out? Didn't leave anybody out, did it? Paul, Paul says, give no offense. He didn't end it there. He wanted to make the point. Either to the Jews or to the Greeks or the church of God. That covers everybody. There is no other group. Either you're a Jew, you're a Greek, or you're, you're in the church of God. So just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul said, I give up my rights. I give up my liberties so that others may be saved. Now going back to what we were talking about earlier with legalism. Legalism is always tied to salvation. I, 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 I've heard people throw around legalism. Oh, that's legalistic. Well, that was always tied to, to salvation. Well, you've got to do this in order to be saved. You've got to live by the law in order to be saved. That's what has to happen. If you're going to be right with God, you have to be this way. Um, it, it, you know, you can't be a Christian and have long hair. You, sorry, Kevin. I, I, but that's where some people would take that. Now, when you start tying those things, you may have a preference that men shouldn't have long hair. Or the, the, whatever. You may have, a, there may be different, different churches, different denominations may have different standards. Standard is one thing. Standard of modesty, standard of morality, those are one thing. When I start saying, uh, Brent, you know, you can't wear shorts. Men that wear shorts, you know, you're, there's, you're not going to heaven. You can't wear, that's, you get it? You get it? That's legalism. I've always said that legalism and, moral, uh, uh, legalism and liberalism is this. Anybody who's more conservative than me, they're, they're legalistic. Anybody who's less uh, 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 moral than me or whatever their standards are less than mine, they're, they're liberal. We have to be careful with that. We have to be very careful with that. Um, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. Um, and it's not just a standard of morality. Legalism is tied to salvation. So, folks, when we get saved, we are free in Christ. Amen? We're, not, we're no longer under the law. We, we're free to live. We're free to live like Christ. 
That's the freedom we're given. We're not given a freedom to sin. Our salvation, our freedom, our liberty is not a liberty to go sin. Oh, I can just sin because grace will abound. God will forgive it again. He'll give forgive that. No, no, no. We are free to live like Christ. We're free to live righteously, to live holy lives, to be holy because He is holy. We're free from the law and we're free not to sin. Not free to sin. Okay? So that's what we've got to understand. So when we talk about and you read these passages, there's some things I think are misconstrued sometimes in the way it's presented with the meets to idols debate. And, and, and oftentimes it's not about questionable things being okay for me because I'm mature. Um, the, the situation may be that perhaps it's about my arrogance and abusing my liberty. That, that's, that's what it could be. You know, I, I've heard this meets the idol debates and, and the things about my liberties. And, 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 and oftentimes it's like, well, this is just a questionable thing. It's like meets the idols, which says, well, that's okay for me to do it. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, sure, there's nothing behind that. We know that that idol means nothing. But hey, look, for the sake of the weaker brother, the sake of the lost person, I ain't going to do it. If it's going to cause somebody to stumble, if it's going to hinder them in their growth, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say, you know what, I put aside my preference, I put aside my liberty, I put aside my freedoms in this thing because I want to honor God and I want to win the more. Amen? That's what Paul's saying here. We're to consider others over ourselves. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. There's a quote I read. It says, My liberty as a Christian should always be supremely shackled by the love I am commanded to have towards others. I'm going to read that again. It's a, a long sentence. My liberty as a Christian, so my liberty as a Christian should always be shackled by the love I am commanded to have towards another. My freedom is always shackled to the love that I should have for them. Always. It can't be independent and go, well, I'm, that's, that's irrelevant over there. I don't care what that's going to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because I have freedom to do that. No, shouldn't be. Martin Luther said this. He said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to every man. That's what he said. We are free. We're absolutely, we have, we have great freedom and great liberty and we're subject to none. And yet a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. We are. You're subject to one another. I'm subject to you. You're subject to me. We are. We're subject to each other. We, we don't get to just go out here and be independent contractors in this thing. We're all a part of Christ if we're born again. Amen. And so we're a part of one another. Now, if you really want to study this out more, you've got those three chapters. I'd encourage you to go read Romans chapter 14. Okay, I want to read a few verses, just three verses from Romans 14. Because Paul says here, he says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. I think there's a pretty good example that we saw when we went through COVID. You know what? There were people in our church who were, they were dogmatic about vaccines. And we had people in our church who were dogmatic against vaccines. But you know what we didn't have? We didn't have disunity within the church. Because right. we weren't going to have that. And that's the way these things have to be handled. I'm not going to bulldog over somebody because of my freedom not to get a vaccine or my freedom to get a vaccine. 
I, you know, so that's just one issue that we look at of, of making for peace, that we consider the other person you know, above myself. Do not destroy the work of God. I love what he says here. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So you want to have a big fight about your freedom to do this or that or the other. And you're going to hinder the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which my brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Anything, whether it's eating meat, drinking alcohol, or anything. Watching football. Yep. Yep. So what's our responsibility? Now, we already said we don't go to heaven or hell based on these legalistic issues. We don't have that. So, you know, we don't go to heaven or hell based on whether I smoke cigarettes or not. We don't go to heaven or hell based on whether I'm, I, I have a drink or not or, or even some drugs or not. That doesn't, that doesn't, you know, if I do a drug, it doesn't say, well, oh, man, you must not be a Christian. That's not how that's determined. We don't, you know, there's one sin. There's one sin that's unforgivable. Y'all know what that is, right? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's faith. It was when we don't have faith, God says, you know, that's the one sin I'm not going to forgive. That's the one thing. Your lack of faith, I will not overcome that. You, your lack of faith, that's the one thing he won't forgive. Um, you know, corrupt communication, it can be an issue. Corrupt communication. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But you know, I'm around Christians sometimes like to drop profanity like it's no big deal. But you know what? That can be a stumbling block for someone who doesn't doesn't have your maturity, not as spiritual as you, or the coarse jesting, or dirty, dirty jokes, or popping out a racist joke. It's sin. Now, I don't go to heaven or hell based on that. Uh, clothing, or, or lack of, uh, at the beach, or at church. Well, I have freedom. I, I have liberty. I can, I can dress like this. No, you, you really can't because if it creates a stumbling block for someone else, you should not do that. So whatever these situations are, that, that, that's not, I'm not going to heaven or hell based on that. But what I am supposed to do is go, you know what? I'm not going to let that be a stumbling block for someone else. I'm not going to let my liberties, my maturity <laughs> be a stumbling block for someone else. I'm going to submit to them. For their good. Amen? So the question comes, and Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come. I'm wrapping up here. The question then, again, is, am I puffed up or building up? What is, what is my goal? Is it more about me? Is it more about them? Am I more concerned with my rights or my testimony? Am, am I, are my liberties more important than someone else's salvation? So the bottom line is, this is about surrendering my rights and liberties for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. I'll give you one example, another example of this, and I'm, I'm now close. Before I, before I got into ministry, when I, I, worked, um, I worked about, how long was I there? About six and a half years. Six and a half years, I think I was at UPS. And I worked there through college. 
And my boss, it was interesting, my, my boss had the same, we had the same birthday. He was 15 years older than me. And we became very good friends. He was a great guy. Uh, he was, he was, Mike was raised Catholic, and he didn't want anything to do with religion. He had, he had just had a horrible experience growing up. He didn't want anything to do with religion. Well, Mike took an early buyout at UPS. And he went, Mike was a, you know, like I said, he didn't want anything to do with, God. he believed in God, but he didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't think God had anything to do with us. And um, I witnessed to Mike. I talked to Mike all the time. But we, were, we were friends. And when Mike took the buyout, he took his money and he went down to downtown Athens and he opened a bar. And uh, so he has this bar. So this is before I got into ministry. And uh, I would go down to his bar and I would sit at the bar and drink a Coke and I'd talk to Mike. Mike, I still remember him telling this. He says, you can come in here all you want to. He said, you ain't going to change my mind, and I ain't going to change your mind. He said, but, you know, we're friends. And I, and I prayed for Mike. I I'd, I'd, I'd kept witnessing to him. I still try to stay in touch with Mike to this day some. And he still hasn't come to faith. But here's what happened. I went, into, I, I went on staff at a church in, in Maysville, Georgia, up near Commerce. You'd know Commerce. And... Uh, I went in there one day and I came out. I came out of there and I went, what if somebody saw me? I didn't drink, I didn't drink anything. I wasn't in there cussing. I wasn't in there chasing women. I was sitting at the bar trying to witness to my friend. I don't think there was anything wrong in that. But you know what I said? I won't do that ever again. Because all it would take would be one person coming by and the wrong person to come by and see that and go, boy, what a Christian he is. He's in the bar on Saturday. So, you know, it was about me putting aside my freedom. Now, I think I had the freedom to do that. But I wasn't going to do that because it could hinder someone else coming to faith or someone in, the, in their walk. Hopefully that's an example to help you understand the heart of what Paul's saying here. Folks, it ain't about me. It's not about us. It's about everybody else. It's about the gospel. It's about winning, winning them and putting aside my liberties for the sake of them, for the sake of the gospel. If you will, we'll stand. Father.